Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Before we get into today's conversation, which is a unique and a good one, and that's all the teas I will offer for the next few moments, I want to tell you about something uh, special that's, that's happened and it's just launched this week as this interview is going public. My good friend Shane Blackshear, who previously has been on Sermon Smith when he interviewed me, and he also hosts the great podcast Seminary Dropout. Shane has launched a podcasting e-course called Podcasting for Everyone. If you're interested in learning how to do a podcast of your own and do it really well, recommend this resource to you. I often get questions from people asking me, and so this is now a direction I can point you to about how to get started. If you've listened to podcasts, you know the difference between a podcast that is done well in terms of recording quality and that kind of thing and one that isn't, and you know that it's it's helpful to have a good quality, and, and Shane has some of the best that I've heard. So you can find that by visiting the SermonSmith website, and up in the top banner, you will find a link for uh, podcasting for everyone, especially if you are listening to this shortly after this interview is released. I'll leave that up there for a good while, but you also, in the show notes for this specific show, you can look at uh, sermonsmith.com slash Dan White, and you'll see a link to Shane's course there. If you enter the code sermonsmith, all one word, when when you're purchasing it, you will get 25% off. If you do it in the next few days after this goes live, you'll actually even get 30% off. And one of this is one of the ways we're supporting the show is Shane has offered to help uh, give a little bit of a kickback to, to SermonSmith through anyone th- who purchases it using that code. So benefits you, benefits the podcast. Everybody wins. One other thing I just want to say, uh, for those of you looking to support the podcast, it's been very clear to me that there have been some listeners who have been real intentional about purchasing things through the Amazon links. Anytime I put up show notes and an, uh, someone I interview mentions books or gear that they use, uh, that links back through our Amazon Associates account and, I, account, and I can see that some of you are using that. So thank you for those of you who are being deliberate, because those little bits uh, really do help with covering my time and the cost of hosting and all of those kind of things. So thanks so much. Today's guest is Dan White, sometimes known as Dan White Jr. Dan is a friend of mine, but he's also a coach. Um, he is both a peer and someone who I learn a great deal from. Dan is the pastor of a unique network of churches called the Axiom Community in New York State. And he is also a coach and mentor for the V3 Church Planning Movement, which our church is a part of and, and how I've gotten to know him well. Dan's going to offer a unique perspective on a more dialogical approach to preaching that they use within their mid-sized congregations. And so I hope you'll benefit from listening to this, whether it changes the way maybe you think about preaching or maybe it'll be helpful for how you lead dialogues and other contexts in your church. I think he has some valuable things to say in a way that he offers a structured dialogical approach to preaching that I really enjoyed the first time I heard him talk about it. So that being said, here is Dan White. Well, Dan... Good to see your face. I'm the only yeah. I'm the only one who gets to see your face. But why don't you tell us about uh, tell us about Axiom? Tell us about the church that you're part of. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, uh, going back a few years ago, um, I planted well, planted a church with a cluster of people. Um, all of us lived around the Northeast. And then we moved into a under-resourced neighborhood in Syracuse, New York, which is 
Um, dead center of the state. It's uh, it's a mid-level city, maybe a little smaller, about 250,000 people. Um, kind of an economically depressed area. Uh, but there is a burgeoning kind of uh, renewal movement um, that's being, uh, I would say, fine, primarily resourced by Syracuse University. Um, you know, a lot of people call Syracuse like a blue-collar city, um, and it really is. It's kind of a working-class city. Um, and also when it comes to kind of landscape of Christianity, I would say uh, – the New York census that came out, I think, in uh, 2008, and then even North American Mission Board has come out with the same stats, but that about 3.5% of our population in Syracuse attends church on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the landscape of you know, where we're at. And um, so I planted with friends, and uh, since we've uh, – just been able to grow and learn about Syracuse and I think find uh, find some sustainability as a church plant. So, And uh, yeah. you, you said a few years ago, how many years has it been? Um, it's going on six. Um, you know, we don't count, sometimes we don't count those first uh, eight to nine months where we were just uh, trying to figure out, get jobs and, and all that jazz, but um, it's going on about six years. And and to build a little more context, you're you said co-pastor, but I also know you're obviously bivocational. It's not obvious. I know that, yes. so it's obvious to me. But talk a little bit about what your bivocation looks like. Like, how much time do you actually give yeah. to the church? Okay, so I also work for V3, which is a church planting movement that coaches and trains church planters uh, throughout the country. So I do that as well. So I'm, I'm, also, I'm also a landlord, so I own a couple uh, properties and, and maintain those and keep them up and running. And uh, So I'm, I would say that I, I'm on the books for 20 hours a week at Axiom. I put in a little more than that, you know, hours-wise. But I've been bivocational for the last six years. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I didn't know you were a landlord. That's fun. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily love it. You know, it's probably uh, I have a lot of nightmares from from that from that space, but um, it does help pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm not super handy either, <laughs> so I've had to learn how to how to take care of things. So, like like any homeowner, you find yourself learning how to do things. You're just having to do it even more. Yeah. 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 I'm, once in a while, I call in a professional if if I think I'm going to do too much damage if I do it myself. But um, I, YouTube's been my friend, so I figure things out. Yeah. And my dad's a contractor, so I call oh, him up quite a bit. So. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does. let's. Uh, so the the shape of Axiom is unique. So can you tell us a little bit about the rhythm of what Axiom looks like, so we can talk about what preaching slash teaching looks like within that rhythm? Yeah, so we primarily uh, express being the church through, um, well, I mean, there's different language for it, but, you know, maybe the New Testament term is oikos, which is a group of 20 to 40 people. And uh, that for us, we call that, you know, a community, a city community. And so a city community has a specific rhythm, um, and that rhythm is that they uh, gather for teaching, uh, worship, and Eucharist 
two to three weeks in a row. And then there's a fourth week uh, where we um, do something. We call it our part, we call it renewal. We do something in our city, um, whether that's uh, a partnership we have with a local soup kitchen or we work with um, refugees in our city. And then we also have an, another part of that rhythm, which is a missional brunch, and that's just a big fat breakfast on a Sunday morning, and we just invite. All our friends um, and uh, those in our, you know, those in our neighborhood to uh, brunch. So there's teaching two or three weeks in a row in a highly communal space where there's between 20 to 40 people. Yeah, and so that's where your primary teaching takes place. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, that's that's the majority of where uh, preaching occurs. Uh, we're now, I mean, currently our church is in a transition where we we just bought a. Uh, a building, uh, a huge uh, old Victorian house, and we're gutting it. And that's also going to be part of our rhythm where we have a more uh, public, uh, accessible worship space where once a month, um, you know, you know, all of us collide there. And that's that will there also be some teaching and preaching in that space as well. So we're in transition right now. We're hoping that happens in uh, the fall. Yeah. Well, tell us then. Tell us about the role of preaching, because uh, obviously you bring a unique perspective to preaching from anybody I've interviewed so far, um, and I've heard, <laughs> I've heard you talk about the way that preaching works for you, and I I, I really appreciate it because I feel like it's really well thought out. So, f- for the context you're in, why why don't you describe for us what the preaching looks like, your preaching method? Yeah, um, I'm gonna. Uh, work with like the theological underpinnings first because um, you know that highly informs our practice I, I would say the way we approach preaching isn't just pragmatic it's not it's not because it works it it did come from some serious theological ref- reflection from our team um, so early in our church plant we we understood our paradigm was that uh, Syracuse only had three and a half percent of the population was attending church, and so we started to reflect on like um, what we were going to look like as a community, and we wanted to value um, and and maybe even step into the aching need for a community. And as we began to explore the New Testament, we started to unpack, you know, the raw material of the early church's social existence together, and. We started in Acts. So I'm sharing a little bit of the story from the beginning. We started in Acts, and uh, we we began to see how the church flourished, how it um, moved out of that initial Pentecost event. And we realized that the Pentecost event uh, was not the sustaining – wasn't really the sustaining force of the movement. It was, it was an event that launched the scattering of the church um, you know, across the Roman Empire. And – uh, then we began to look at this theme of uh, oikos and seeing that in the New Testament, um, rather than the church being fueled by a big explosive event after big explosive event, the church scattered into seedling postures, into small social clusters, uh, mid-sized, misunderstood, faithful um, spiritual families, and that's what Oikos is. It's a microassembly of people, a community pot of people, Jew, Gentile, uh, male, female, slave, free, together, um, 
expressing the body of Christ in that city. And uh, that, that imagination that the, the New Testament church was uh, primarily expressed through oikos, these, these larger social spaces where people were loving one another and knitting together, um, captured, just, I think, enraptured us. It just, it overwhelmed us and uh, became a significant part of our DNA early. Um, that there was a new species being formed. Uh, in the New Testament, and people were former enemies were sharing meals together, you know, orbiting around the bread and wine of Jesus. And in that space, that's it's in that space that preaching took place. Um, so that's a that's a primary conviction for us. Um, that's informed how how we preach. Um, the setting has informed how we preach. And when we talk about community, we're not talking about like a, a quaint '60s vibe, you know. Like, <laughs> just it, it, to us, it's you are to close us, to Woodstock. No, I, that's true. I know. <laughs> I've actually been. Um, it, it's it's not a uh, you know it's not a it's not a '60s vibe. It's a it's a it's a framework for expressing the kingdom of God for making trouble, <laughs> you know, under the nose of the empire and. And we realized there was also a transition from uh, like temple Judaism, um, where you know daily and yearly sacrifices occurred, and and now God's temple was moving out of uh, that expression into a relational network of communities, and this is where God was dwelling. And you know, I'm sharing all that not to exhaust the the story, but um, we I have a hard time you know now thinking of preaching outside of this electric movement of social space um, of groups of 20 to 40. So uh, that, you know, that, that has informed us. And yeah. um, as well as, you know, a couple, a couple little, little anecdotes here, little maybe asterisks, is that um, looking at the word preaching actually through the New Testament and has – you know, bothered us and, and maybe deconstructed some things for us. And when we look at the word preaching, uh, there's two different uh, Greek words for preaching. Uh, one is homileo, and, you know, we're familiar with that. We get homiletics from that. And that word is often translated preaching in the New Testament. And, and the definition for that word in, in the Greek is to converse within the company of others. Um, and then we have the other uh, Greek word we have that's often translated preach or preaching is dialogomahi. And that is the definition for that is to ponder, converse, to discuss, to reason, or to mingle in discourse with other people. Um, so I, what I, I guess what I'm, I'm pressing at and poking at is that preaching – there is a there's certainly a modern imagination for preaching, but I think it's very different than the first century uh, context for preaching, um, and and that's because of uh, how preaching was delivered in that those spaces. Um, so that forced uh, me and forced our teaching team to re-explore what preaching was going to look like. Within a group of twenty to forty. Yeah. Uh, does that does that make sense, yeah. John? Like just that 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 maybe that journey for us. Um. You know, I 
I I was a I was I kind of use this maybe a, in a derogatory pejorative way, but I was a I was a platform preacher for years. You know, I I honed my skill uh, with you know to be on the platform and, and preach a solid forty five minute message. Um, so the transition for me uh, moving into spaces um, that were more oikos and more social space. Uh, was a hard transition. You know, I I knew how to deliver a good sermon without any interruption. <laughs> um, and and now I had to relearn what it meant to to bring uh the truth of the kingdom of God breaking in in a different domain where I wasn't just uh you know speaking for 45 minutes. Um and so was that was that hard yeah, to let go of? Oh, uh, it certainly was. I mean, I uh I don't know how confessional I need to be here. But, um, <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> I, I, I had some. I mean, I had some serious insecurity in the first uh, year or two. Um, I, I didn't. Uh, I just didn't feel polished, and um, and I couldn't hide. Uh, I just. I was more accessible, and questions uh, would throw off my train of thought at times, and. Um, I had to relearn how to preach within community, and and it, yeah, and it, and it pressed on some insecurity, and and uh, and in some sense humbled me, I think. Um, so yeah, so 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 all that background in place then describe for us what the what that what the homileo dialogico. <laughs> I know I'm butchering mm-hmm. this, these Greek words. That's okay. Um, yeah, that's but, right, man. That, and there's. Uh, I don't want to take the time to do this, but I want to have a conversation with you sometime later about Caruso. But anyway, um, yeah. But let's mm-hmm. talk then, in light of all that, about what this looks like for your congregation now. Yeah. So in that transition, um, we had to learn how to come up with a, a framework, maybe even a system for what dialogical preaching would look like. Um, you know, it, it it couldn't be just a free-for-all of conversation and talk. <clears throat> we had to come up with uh, new techniques for this new environment. And um, and one of the other pieces of dialogical preaching is that, that is often missed is that it does value declaration. It does value the, the crisp, dynamic truth that's brought into the room for people to glare at and deal with. Um, so with the value of declarative but also um, maybe discursive where there's discussion, uh, we came up with four movements um, in a dialogical preaching session. And these four movements, I'll explain them, they, this is what we do in li- a live setting. But it also gives us an outline for how to uh, uh, create content. So we, in the dialogical preaching, the first 15 minutes is instructive. And uh, the instructive piece is where a teacher, you know, has exposition. It's uninterrupted. Uh, We focus on a passage, the historical, you know, sociological context of a passage. We lift a pressing truth out. Um, You know, we 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 make a significant point. and, and sometimes we weave in there a little bit of deconstruction, so we, we flip over maybe an apple cart a little bit and uh, poke and prod. But th- this is primarily declarative. It is uh, it's it's being proclaimed, um, and it's it's uninterrupted for 
10 to a solid 15 minutes. Um, there's no dialogue during that that 15 minutes. Then after the instructive uh, piece, we have a wait time. And this actually came out of some learning. We we would start to move towards discussion, and and typically those who had quick answers or were the most talkative dominated discussion. So we we ended up instituting a wait time of one minute, a serious solid minute, for people to think, to wait, and to write some notes on their paper. Um, and we we asked two questions in that wait time: Where is there conflict for you, and where is there clarity for you? Hmm. Um, and we sit there in silence, and you know, extroverts uh, are, are are going crazy. Um, yeah. Introverts are loving it, um, but it has leveled the playing field. That wait time, um, and that came out of actually maybe a, a year of learning that we needed to put that in there. So we then we move from int- instructive to expressive, um, and that that movement uh, is ten minutes of moderating reflection and response. And that's a little bit more – it's like controlled chaos, but there's – people are responding to those questions. Where is there conflict or where there's, where's there clarity? And, um, you know, we bow, that, that, that teacher, uh, that preacher is, is, is kind of bouncing the ball around the room and asking people what their thoughts are, what's the response. And uh, sometimes it's, it's a bit emotional. There's something personal someone shares. Sometimes it's additional pontificating where someone has better insight into the text. Um, sometimes people, you know, if someone says something and there's unclarity, uh, that moderator asks, hey, what, does anybody else have thoughts on, on, that, on that statement? Um, it's, it's a bit wide open there. Um, and for some, that's, that's – well, in our setting, it's kind of old territory. But if you're new to that setting, you know, the – you wonder, like, where is this heading? Where is this going? Um, and so after that expressive, you know, the second move of expressive, we move to collective. Uh, now, these are cute and quaint words, but they really have helped us uh, figure out how to move th- uh, through this journey of dialogical preaching. Uh, so then we have collective, and that's only about five minutes. We, we uh, take everything that we've said, and we this is where we move to a whiteboard, and we, we throw down – uh, statements that people have said, certain themes that seem to stick out. Um, there's some like diagnosing that's happening, some precision that's starting to get moved up onto the board. Um, so if, uh, for example, if someone, uh, if we're talking about uh, love and a few people, it kind of express that their mentality of love used to be about uh, like just feeling something. And then a few people in the room start to share that for them, love is, is, they're starting to understand that love is work. Um, it's requiring faithfulness. We write that word up there. On, we write that on the board. That, you know, love is faithfulness. Um, we start to see common themes and points and and convictions, and we kind of we we start to just throw them up on the board. Hmm. Then after that collective, and that's only five minutes. We we're just trying to funnel truth into the center of the room in that period of five minutes. Uh, so we just to kind of summarize, we have the instructive for 15 minutes, we have expressive for 10 minutes, we have collective for five minutes. Um, then we move into summative, which is actually a word we made up. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it is, a word, but then we move into summarizing or summative, which is 10 minutes. Um, and this is where we reconstruct, and we that teacher, that preacher, has prepared uh, something that is declarative. 
that we that is asking the question: What is God proclaiming over our lives? What is our take home? And that's prepared in that advance. Sorry. It's prepared in advance. Yeah, so yeah. there's significant preparation on the front end and on the back end, you know, on that instructive and that summative. Now, here's the thing about that summative at the end. Um, as we've grown in this, the summative starts to include some of the things that are on the whiteboard. Uh, and, and here's where my, my uh, understanding of how the spirit has moved is expanded. Uh, we, have, we have found uh, over and over and over and again, because we've been in this rhythm uh, for so long, how – uncanny and how supernatural it is that what people express in that expressive stage lines up with what is going to be declared and so there we 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 try to pull in from what's on the whiteboard into what's already prepared and uh you know so there's there's an art to that and a nuance to that but it's a little it's actually more natural than you think it'd be just because uh of how i think the spirit has uh is working so um so that that declarative is 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 calling that community to action and to reflection during the week. Um, uh, there's an authoritative uh, uh, deliverance there uh, of of that truth, and then um, the the big question: How are we going to respond to this uh, throughout the week? And um, and, and so in that summative stage, sometimes they go back to that initial instruction, uh, instructive stage where they've deconstructed a few things, and they you know, kind of wrap that up. And yeah. and then we, we we always gather around the Lord's table uh, right after that, which you know is a message in itself. So sure. that's that's you know I would say that whole that whole ball of wax or that whole uh, dialogical preaching move, those four moves takes about. Uh, between 30 and 40 minutes, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's our approach, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I guess I haven't even mentioned this before, but so, you know, our church is part of E3, so I heard you give a presentation on this before. And in the early days, mm-hmm. in the early days of our church community, when we were, you know, trying to form a core and get things going, we met in a home yeah. and we were much more dialogical in our approach as well you know, as we were building that. So I have a lot of appreciation for it. Uh, Mm. I think the thing that I really appreciated about the way you've thought this through, though, is even though you call it dialogical, I I love that you still lean pretty hard on that declarative piece, you know, because if if it's 30 to 40 minutes and 12 to 15 minutes of it is declared, you know, you're still talking Mm -hmm. a, a third, a full third to a half of it is just a, uh, oh yeah, uh, you know some kind of some kind of content to grab a hold of. Was it that way from yes. the start? Did you just always perceive that you still needed that? Yeah, you know it was, and I think I think John, I was because I my I think my our team's imagination for what preaching looked like in the New Testament was that it was both and. You know, it yeah. was declarative and it and. See, to me, true dialogical teaching is declarative and incorporates discussion. So I knew that I had to hold those in tension. Um, I just didn't – I didn't know how, um, and I didn't really have a system for that. And um, so all of the kinks that actually had to be worked out were just a, about practice. Like how do we – we just practicing it and then reflecting every week. And um, But I knew both had to be there. 
Um, I've been in environments, John, where – I mean you probably have too, where you know it's a dis- primarily discussion environment and um, it's <laughs> it's just it's, a mess. It's all over, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all over the place and you walk out of the, you walk out of the building think, thinking, I don't know what the hell happened in there. <laughs> like what, what, what did we talk about? You know, and, and, and so I, I knew that's not what was happening uh, when Paul was teaching within household – Spaces and oikos. I knew that there had to be more than that, and so, so it's a it's a tension. It certainly is. Yeah, um, and I think what I held on to from that is, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but even when you're in a dialogical approach, I kind of like that what you're trying to do with that declarative piece is do enough honor to the text that it almost sits as one of the voices that is present, and it's not just people. You could almost think of it as it's totally dishonoring if all of us get together and talk about the person who's not there <laughs> you know, and say uh, what we think about that person. Uh, and yeah. a, a lot of times that's kind of what it seems like happens in a more dialogical approach to the text. It's let's open up this text and then let's just all read it and talk about it and say what we think. Whereas when you right. spend this 12 to 15 minutes, it's almost like – Hope, you know, and obviously there's room for error on the part of the person who's doing that exegetical oh, work. Sir. But it's let's let's let this voice, this this entity yes. that we're all going to talk about, you know, for the next half hour, let's let it come yeah. and have it say, and then we will all yes. engage with it. So it gives you something to grab yeah. a hold of. You got it, man. I mean, that's that is that's well said. That it's it's a it's a it has a voice in the room. Um, so it. It, it's brought in with with kind of a the beauty of uh, the force of what's in the text. We let it reign over us, uh, but then we are re- we have to respond to it and reflect in it, and and that's where we allow the spirit to to, uh, to come from amongst us. And so, I, and I think that's a balance tension. Uh, in it, it's not an either or. It's it's a both and, and so, um, yeah, yeah, that's 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 well said. It, it has its. We try to establish that person in the room of Jesus uh, preaching to us. Um, so, all that being said, I'm going to ask you two questions that you might try to. You sure. might end up answering these at the same time, or it might be easier to break these apart. Okay. But, okay. You know, knowing you described, you know, your previous background as part of a teaching team uh, at at a larger church. Um, mm-hmm. How what what does preparation for you for this kind of teaching preaching look like, and in what ways, if any, maybe, but in what ways is it different from the kind of preparation you had to do before? Yeah. Well, this has been a fun, fun, and painful learning process for us uh, over the years, and moving for me moving from a place of uh sitting in my office for 15 to 20 hours a week and crafting the best sermon i could by myself uh we we wanted to move towards a group hermeneutic um which is just you know just a sexy way of saying i wanted multiple people um prepping together and 
discussing the text, exegeting the text, and then crafting what we felt like God wanted to, to communicate to our body. So what that looks like, this group hermeneutic, is that we have a team of teachers. We have three right now, um, and then a fourth that's kind of an apprentice. And twice a month, so every other week, we get together at a coffee shop, um, sometimes someone's house, and we prepare our content and material together. Um, and that that you know what that looks like practically is like all our commentaries are on the table uh you know all our notes and collected illustrations and insights um we bring that to that group hermeneutic that lasts about uh two hours um sometimes more if we're uh arguing a little bit yeah um and we assemble them we assemble them together we assemble that that talk together uh that sermon together and uh, we hope that out of that coming together, there's something meaningful and spirit-filled that happens. Um, now, honestly, it was a super clunky process in the beginning. It was just uh, super clunky, very inefficient, a, a lot of wasted time, and a lot of missing each other. We didn't know how to do it. And I'd say it's moved out of being clunky to being more um, more like a minor limp. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> uh, we're, we we we're we're better much better at it and and we just had to be patient with the process and faithful to maybe that ideal of group hermeneutic um what happens now so that's that's what that that's what that period we have we come to the table here let me just maybe back up is individually so for me as a uh principal preacher and communicator at axiom uh which is the, the name of our church i do uh some prep by myself and um, as well as does everybody else in our teaching team, I do some. I do my own prep. Uh, I piece together some thoughts. Uh, I, you know, my convictions on whatever text we're exegeting. Um, you know, maybe a couple of random illustrations, maybe a personal story. So I come into the room, into that group of hermeneutic, with about thirty to fifty percent already prepared. And um, so we have that existing work coming in. And then the challenge then is to. Uh, learn to listen to one another, and um, uh, for me, here's the, the this challenge. I'm a serious introvert, like I'm a brutal introvert, um, and so I have to lay out my raw material on the table and then allow the cross-pollinational process to begin. Um, and event, initially, that was that was painful as well and uh, awkward, but it's actually made us much sharper teachers. Um, has made us way more creative, um, hmm. and uh, has actually. Here's the. It's been a. This is the. This is like the the, the backdoor thing that's happened. It's actually discipled others to to be teachers. It became a discipleship tool um, to help others who maybe had some teaching propensities but um, didn't know how to move in that direction. So this process of a group hermeneutic has helped them become better teachers. So we do that every other week. And that is that's the guts of what we take into uh, an oikos environment. Um, so yeah. yeah. So so then, how would you say it's like? Would what would you say is drastically different from what you did before? I mean, you talk about the amount of time spent, but yeah. do you still try to worry about illustrations and some of those kind of things, or do they happen out of the dialogue? Well. Um, the majority of them happen out of the dialogue, although um, we all do come to the table with, you know, some 
Yeah. I mean, basic illustrations, like I have a movie that came to my head. Recently we were talking about uh, um, Mission. Uh, we're in a missional living series right now, and I thought of the series Walking Dead when it comes to this community that now has a mission to survive. And, you know, so I thought of that already ahead of time, and I scribbled it on paper. Um, everybody brings some kind of illustration or object or, you know, story, and then we kind of negotiate um, what – you know what we should use, um, and you know that negotiation process actually brings out the best, uh, um, best stories and best illustrations. Um, so that's that's a big difference for me is um, having a creative think tank <laughs> rather than just being in in, uh, in my office alone and hoping that I stumble upon something by myself. So yeah. that's been a big shift. I probably put in practically before that group hermeneutic, I, I put in about uh, two to three hours of prep. Um, and then in that group hermeneutic, that's another two hours. So I'd say, um, you know, every, you know, every sermon, every, every teaching has about between four to six hours of prep into it. <laughs> My, Combined uh, between those two environments, yeah. Do you ever do you ever bring stuff to the actual time that you're going to teach that you're just kind of holding back to bring to the discussion if there's room for it, or do you do, or do you just try to clam up other than the declarative and the summative? Can you can you rephrase that again? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, well, I'll, I'll frame that with what I'm my own experience of. Yeah. When I was in youth ministry, you know, we. We only had large events for a while, and then we said, you know, we need to do, you know, smaller size events, and we did home Bible studies about the size you're describing, which were much more mm -hmm. dialogue approach. And, and a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of the times that I found, and then this, this obviously occurred in the days of our our church meeting in a small group too. Uh, yeah. A, a lot of times, what I found was things that I had scribbled out, or ideas, or interpretations, or applications of the text, often came to the surface in the conversation before I even uh, brought them to the conversation, you know, yes. and it was this beautiful thing. And I realized these yeah. people discovering these things are better than me saying them. So, yeah, man. but all that to yeah. say, I'm curious then if you ever have, you know, you, you develop and you put together the 12 to 15 minutes of declarative, you develop the summative that you're going to do at the end. Do you ever just, yes. do, do you ever just bring a, couple pieces of notes of other things that you want to contribute to the conversation if necessary or do you just try to sit back and let it flow so in that's in that uh in the in this in the space in the middle like the the the, the meat between the sandwich there of instructive and summative uh, I sometimes do – we have a question in our back pocket that if, if the dialogue is weak and um, I prime that pump with an existing question um, to you know, bring some things to the surface. It doesn't always – is that always necessary? Um, is that what you're asking like how to, when it comes to that? Or you're talking like do I ever bail on the summative? You know, I, I suppose uh, as much as anything, I'm just wondering how much you actually participate in the discussion itself with other yeah. things you discovered uh, as part of your study or if you really try yes. to sit back. I really – well, our, we all try to really sit back. That's, yeah. I mean that's, that's a discipline. <laughs> um, I mean it, it, sometimes my skin crawls honestly because there's things said in the room that I'm like uh, – 
okay, this this is quacky, <laughs> you know. Like, um, it, but there's there's you have to give space for uh, our humanity to express itself in in all its beautiful, awkward, quacky ways, right? There's, there's we need that, and so. Um, and sometimes in the clutter of that, something, uh, you know, something blooms. And and I have a tendency to to over speak and over talk. And, um, and sometimes teachers do. Most teachers do. Sometimes that you know <laughs> the, the discipline is believing that this there is a priesthood here. There is uh, the spirit in all of us. And so there's a balance between teacher and taught. There is that tension. Um. So I try to stay out of it. I, I try to play moderator in those, in that in that chunk in the center, um, knowing full well that um, there is, you know, a coming space right at the end, where, um, you know, I, I that that key truth is going to be brought back into the room. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is trusting, trusting in trusting in the flow. Um, anxiety can make you bail on it because you, you feel like you got to like answer things fairly quickly. Um, so, and I love, I love that. Uh, I love that. De- I've come to love this space in the middle where there's uh, frustration and uncertainty and lack of clarity and people are wondering where it's going and, and you create space, you make space for the aha moment. Um, so, yeah. Well, let me. I know we're working towards winding up my normal time frame here, but I, if you'll allow me to get super nerdy for a little bit, uh, sure. Be, because you're going many different directions, as you described. You know, I, yeah. I know that you're. You finished one book. You're writing another. You're a landlord. You're. You've been a chaplain. So you do. You do your teaching prep, which, as you've described, is shorter in the midst of all these other things. But that doesn't mean that yeah. it's still not on your mind during other windows. Yeah. And I know that from being bivocational, as a lot of sermon prep is not as you're sitting down studying, but just on the go. So certainly, do you yeah. have do you have any processes, rhythms, tools that are helpful for you? Just thinking through yep. teaching stuff, even when you're not doing teaching prep. Well, I do. I have a uh, personally. I have a, a leather, you know, leather bound uh, notebook that. You know, I'm chicken scratching all kinds of ideas and thoughts in there. So we we've been in the Sermon on the Mount uh, for you know about a year. Hmm. We we just actually just took a break from it for to talk about missional living. But we've been in this long year long process of working through the Sermon on the Mount, and so that's that th- that that text is on my mind. Like it's just it's been pummeling my brain for a year in a good way and. And so uh, I'm just writing constant notes down. And one of one of the things that's helped as well is that when we hit our so our teaching team, when we hit us, we know we're going to be in a series. Um, we we um, we have a book budget that um, so all of us buy one or two commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount. So I just uh, you know a year ago I bought McKnight's uh, yeah. books, got McKnight's book, Story of God series some of them out and so i've got that that's my primary that's probably my primary resource right now that i'm using for that series i've got a couple supplemental resources but that's my primary one and so i everywhere i travel everywhere i go that that's going with me as well as my uh my bible and my uh leather bound notebook and so no bible software um, for you you have to have the actual book 
You know, dude, I I am I'm a I'm like a caveman when it comes to technology. <laughs> so like, I, like I have a really difficult. I think some of it's my I have a learning disability. So my retention level is plummets when it, I'm looking at a screen. So for me, I need like. I need a book, you yeah, know, and I need yeah. to mark it up and I need to highlight it. Um, and then even like I have a hard time typing and learning. So that's why that leather bound, I, like, I love writing a note or if like a framework or a tool comes to mind, you know, I'm able to sketch that out really quick um, rather than trying to open up Photoshop and creating something. So, right. so, so, you know, we, in every series we go in, we allow each of our teachers to buy a commentary or two, um, so that we're all having a, some resource, fueling resource. Um, you know, I have some, I have some go-tos, like some. I'm always using uh, the, the dictionary of Paul and his letters from IVP. Um, yep. I absolutely love. I just love that. Um, and uh, I mean, this is this is another love for me. Is the uh, NT Wright's commentary for everyone i forget yep. what they're called but paul for everyone um every teacher on our team has that full library um and a new testament theology my marshall that's another ivp book and that kind of walks through each um so those i've got a couple resources i'm always going to but i'm always getting a fresh commentary depending upon whatever series i'm jumping into so so i just started sermon on the mount this week so this oh, is yeah. this is purely a selfish question that everybody okay. else can benefit from but what yeah, else man. have you and what else have you enjoyed for sermon on the mount besides the mcknight which i have oh snap listen th- there's a couple really good ones uh so the cost of community by jamie arpin ricky yeah uh is a is a beautiful um, expression of the Sermon on the Mount. He works through every verse, but he interweaves his own practice as a church planter and huh. pastor. But I, I, to me, it's almost a commentary, even though it's probably not sold that way. Um, that's a huge one. And then Glenn Stassen uh, has a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and I absolutely love that. What's that called? Uh, it's orange. <laughs> that's the orange know. one. The orange one by Glenn Stassen. He Glenn Stassen passed away a year ago, um, and that has been a really uh, primary commentary for me. And then um, Bonhoeffer's book. Um, yeah, cost of discipleship. Yeah, so those those four those those four there, but McKnight's, Glenn Stassen's, and that cost of community have been uh, actually they, they're in my suitcase wherever I'm going. Like I just <laughs> love those three. So nice. All right, and so and then so you talk about your leather band notebook. Do you even ultimately write out your teaching outline and teach out of there? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I eventually type that whole thing up and then uh, print it out. Oh, so you, um, so you do get digital at some point? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it goes through that portal at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, do you end up the declarative part? Do you end up doing a manuscript of that, or is that just outlined? Um. For me, it's it's more outline. It's probably maybe more of an exhaustive outline, but it's not it's not a full manuscript. No, it's bullet points and numbers. And I've got codes I use to kind of help me under. Like if I have an illustration, I use a lightning bolt. <laughs> like um, we all do. If I have a if I have a main a main point, uh, I use an exclamation mark. Um, like I have these codes to tell me like where I am in those spaces. Um, and then if I have Something I want to say verbatim, I'll type that right out in the outline. Yeah. Um, is there a so. is there a magical keystroke for a lightning bolt? Uh, 
There's not. I don't, so how do you do the lightning bolt? No, the, well, there's. I use symbol. It's the. You got to use wet wingdings or symbol. Oh, you I can, see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Zap dingbats <laughs> or whatever it might be. That is that's totally weird, but that's just yeah. That's what first time saying. ever mentioned dingbats and wingdings <laughs> on the podcast. Yes. All right. Well, Dan, uh, thanks so much. Why don't you talk briefly? Uh, because I know that your first book is coming out soon. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that so we can look forward to it? Oh, cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so I have a book uh, coming out called Subterranean, uh, Why the Future of the Church's Rootedness, and that's coming out through Cascade Books. It's coming out this fall, hopefully September. Looks like that's the that's a time period. I don't have the date yet, but it's really a um, maybe a... a a prophetic book in some sense, uh, uh, looking at how um, uprooted the church is and its expression. Um, I look at excessive personality. I look at um, like the way we've extracted inf- information from relationship. Um, I look at being expedited, so everything we do is fast. And then I move into some key postures of rootedness in the second half of the book. Um, and, and throughout the book, I'm sharing my own uh my own kind of falling apart and being put back together when it comes to ego and status. And I make a strong connection in the book between the personality and uh, the the soul of a leader reflects the way that we model expressing the church. So our church structures um, often are connected to the need for personality and, and, and uh, to be affirmed as a leader. And so I, I kind of pull those apart. So that to me, rootedness is – uh, getting back to um, some real simple postures of um, being local, uh, being primarily in community, and then being primarily focused on faithfulness. So Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, man. Thanks. I appreciate you giving me space, space for that. Yeah. Well, why don't you, if anybody wants to keep up with what you're up to, what's the website for your church, your personal site, Twitter, all those things, V3? Yeah. Uh, my Twitter is Dan White Jr. Um, and then I, I have a uh, blog spot that actually is changing over to DanWhiteJr.com. So right now it's DanWhiteJr. at, at blogspot.blogspot.com. That's currently what it is, but it's actually switching over in a month to just DanWhiteJr.com. Um, and that's where I blog and uh, try to stay consistent, but I, I'm really not. So. Hmm. And then V3 is the V3movement.org. Yeah, yeah, the V3movement.org, and and I blog there as well, um, and that's where uh, some of our our, um, training and tools and uh, the process of of planting a church that's faithful to discipleship, community, and mission. Uh, That's where you can find that out, so... Well, Dan, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. I know we tried to plan this long ago, and I'm glad we've finally been able to sit down and talk. Yeah, dude. Thanks so much for in- inviting me and uh, giving me space to be kind of the oddball on your on your sermon prep. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Blessings. Yeah, peace to you. 
Thank you once again for listening. Please, 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 if you will take a few moments and go to iTunes and leave a review for Sermon Smith there. That helps other people find the podcast. And even if you don't listen through iTunes, if you could subscribe to the podcast there, that helps iTunes see that this is a podcast that people are enjoying and listening to. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Sermon Smith or do a search for Sermon Smith on Facebook. Like us, follow us there. Please help share with others. Thanks so much.